you don't have to become a whole new person in one day. It's just very little changes every time. If you change like 1% little by little, in the long run, you're gonna be very different. It's something that you can't really see right away, but it's like when you come out the other side, you're like, wow. And welcome back, welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my partner in crime, Matt Cermak, with me. What's up, Ev? Good to be back. Another ride with an LPGA Tour Pro. One of the oh, best yeah. in the world right now. Top oh, 50. Yeah. I think she's ranked 32nd right now. 12th on the money list. 12th on the money list. Finished second at the US Open. We're going to get more about Mina Haragai. But first, guys, if your golf game's off the rails, if you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place, especially this episode. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PGA Tour pros, LPGA Tour pros like today, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. Before we get to this episode with Mina, this episode is presented by Roback Activewear, our friends at Roback. And Cermak has a little bit of a pro tip for you for the upcoming chili season. I, I mean, can't wait getting, to hear this. It's getting colder everywhere. Ab, I think you said it was cold <laughs> in LA this morning. What was it? 72 when you woke yeah, up? Yeah, it was getting chilly. <laughs> well, it's 43 here in Chicago. Just so oh, you know, yikes. I got a couple quick layering keys for you, but I don't know if you're going to take this direction, Ev, because you're a little more on the casual side, <laughs> the short sleeve polo, the Q-zip, and then the vest. Oh yeah. Bit. I do that often. Okay. I just, I've yeah. never seen it. Maybe you throw in the hoodie. But I love that look. Or if you want to get one last layer, but still have some warmth, the long sleeve polo. Mm. I got three of those. Yeah, you love those. With the vest over. So the vest is there no matter what. But I just think all the layers are so comfortable rowback. They're so sharp. They're so versatile. If you're going into the office, if you're going out. Well, don't forget the long sleeve. getting chilly out there. Don't forget the long sleeve performance tee because I've layered with that as well. With the, I can see you doing that with the vest. Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done performance tee in California. I've done long sleeve performance tee, polo, Q-zip, vest. See, see what we're And doing here's here? the best part, guys. You wear four layers in non-Roback stuff. You're not going to be able to move. In Roback, right. it feels like you're wearing nothing. So go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. If you forget what that code is, just tap the link in our bio at the part train on Instagram or in the show notes. And it'll auto apply in your cart. If you've already used it, enter a new email, do whatever you got to do. And have your vest day. He loves it's saying, have your vest day. It's one of his favorite things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mina Haragai. You probably know Mina from almost winning. She finished second at the 2022 US Open at Southern Pines. Actually, I heard this before we interviewed her. The first woman to ever win over a million dollars finishing second on yep. the LPGA. Yep. So it was the biggest purse they'd ever had. And she finished second. We talk all about that. But I think Mina, look, you might look at Mina's resume. And she won the U.S. Amateur Public Links in 20, 2007. She won the California Women's Am four consecutive years, 2001 and 2005. First victory came at 12 years old. Played in many team events, amateur and pro, including the Solheim Cup. Seven pro wins. And I think you hear a player like that. And you think, oh, the game always comes easy to her. She's got it all figured out. Yeah. But she talks about her low point where she had zero confidence in 2019. Then COVID hits and she changed her whole game. 
And I think this is the type of episode that the average listener would love because it shows how she went from her rock bottom, her quote, rock bottom, and now playing the best golf she's ever played. Absolutely. What a fantastic episode and a look into Mina's game, her process, her ups and her downs. Look, this is somebody who just finished second in the US Open, five top tens in 2021, four in 2020, a couple top 15s in majors. Not only did she say her game hit rock bottom, Ev, she talks a little bit about like, is this the right sport for me? Do I still need to be doing this? And then again, for everybody, you got to listen to this episode. The best players in the world deal with this. They deal with this. Everybody goes through it, has demons, has struggles. And how she has come out of it's been incredible. And I think she's going to get her first win anytime. You know, yep. she's been so consistent, $4 million in career earnings. But um, yeah, no, really, really great look into uh, the US Open week too. She talks about that. Boy, she talks about how she was nervous and how she dealt with the nerves. A lot of course management talking here too. That's going to be great for our listeners. And she understands. She understands. She knows she's one of the best players, but she has a lot to say about the 10 handicap or the aspiring player uh, that's listening to this show. So what a yeah. treat. Yeah. I mean, you'll learn how to be a problem solver. You'll learn how to be an athlete. There's a yeah. ton of great stuff here. So thank you to Mina. And guys, if you're not following us at the park train on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, Mina did it. That's how we got to this interview. How good is that, by the way? So Mina found us on Instagram and she loved our stuff. And that's how we're here today. So if you're not following us there, we do stuff on there multiple times a day. That's not on the show. So give us a follow at the part train. And if the show's added any value, give us a review at Apple podcasts and on Spotify. And no matter how low you're getting, no matter how meaningless and worthless it feels out there sometimes, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Hey guys, take care. Mina Haragai, it is our pleasure. Welcome aboard the Par Train. I know you like birdies, but welcome aboard the Par Train. We're excited to have you. Hey, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Mina, we had a bunch of different ways we could start today, but we wanted you to feel at home on your first ride on the train. So I got to ask you, best sushi roll. We know your parents own, <laughs> it's been well talked about. We won't go too much into it, but we know your parents own a sushi restaurant in Monterey. Actually, my mini moon was in Monterey. I'm sad that I didn't go to your parents' restaurant. I'll have to do that next time. But if you could only have one sushi roll to live on, what would it be? Sushi roll. See, so like my parents' restaurant, my dad is a very traditional sushi chef. He actually didn't start making like, you know, the rolls that you see nowadays that are popular until I started to like go on tour early mm -hmm. in my career. And I was telling him like, hey, like this is what's popular. And, and he was like, goes no that's not real sushi and I'm like I'm telling you that's his that sells and then so he finally like started doing it you know started making rainbow rolls dragon rolls spider rolls philadelphia rolls that those kind of things and then yeah. he was like oh they do sell and I'm like I'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but honestly probably rainbow roll because I am I grew up on it so I like more traditional things but like if, if it's not a sushi roll I like a variety you know chirashi bowls it's just mm -hmm. like a rice bowl with like chef's uh, choice of raw fish and stuff. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So just yeah. to remind people, what is in a Philadelphia, you said Philadelphia roll. Yeah. What is in a Philadelphia roll again? So we all know. Uh, it's salmon and cream cheese and then various restaurants, you know, add different sauces to it, but that's um, it's pretty good. But the main it. component is like, yeah, salmon and cream cheese. And your parents' restaurant is called? Takara Sushi in Takara Pacific Sushi. Grove. In Pacific mm -hmm. Grove. Okay, awesome. So now people know right. where to yep. go. Unlike me, 
when you go to Monterey. Before we get into your game, your mental game, we actually, this podcast came about because we saw you followed us. And <laughs> was it a specific post? What made you want to hop on board? Gosh, I, I wish I can, I'm on my phone now. So, but I wish I can go back and look at the post. But, you know, when you go on Instagram, you look on like the search feed just to see yeah. like different new things. It was one of your posts that popped up and it was a quote. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like it really resonated with me. So then um, I went on your profile and I started looking at all your stuff. And I was like, hey, this is a really cool page. So then I just started following you guys because I really liked what you had to say. Love it. No, that's, that's great. So Mina, <laughs> walk, welcome to the show. We're excited to kind of dive in with you. You know, looking at your last couple of years, you've had great success on the tour and like continuing to build and improve with your statistics, your results. And just wanted to point out a little bit for our listeners. So in 2020, you were T13 at the British Open and the PGA Championship, and you had four top tens in a short calendar year or two because of COVID. 2021, you had 18 of 21 cuts made and five top tens. And then 2022, this year, you're T2 at the US Open, and you're currently 12th on the money list. Obviously, you've got a lot of work to do in 2022, but maybe talk about these last three years and just kind of your great level of consistency and success. Yeah, 2019, I lost my card. I went back to Q school, got a decent status back. But yeah, 2019 is rock bottom. It was, you know, accumulation of like few years of bad play. I was tired of it. I was tired of feeling terrible about myself and about my game. Mm -hmm. I was very lost. Travis, my fiance, who caddies for me, basically sat down and told me after the season, like, hey, if you don't want to feel like this again, you have to do something different. And, you know, it got bad enough where I was like, yeah, I really do need to do something different. And something different was changing my everything. <laughs> Swing, short game, putting, and the mental game. So, and then, you know, the pandemic wasn't good for a lot of people, but it was good for me because that extended time off from the tour gave me that much more time to really get comfortable with my changes and see where I needed to be. Yeah. Well, it's funny timing. You know, we just re released our latest episode this week about hitting rock bottom. Now you hitting rock bottom is different than an average golfer from hitting rock <laughs> bottom, but it's all, it's all relative. I mean, we want to talk about your successes, but what did that mean? What was breaking down or what wasn't adding up for you that got you to, you know, in retrospect, that dark place? Golf, you ride on highs and lows a lot. It's really hard to get off a bad streak especially when it gets worse and worse and worse. So I think 2019, I missed like six or seven out of my last eight or nine events because I was really close to losing my card. Then I was, you know, outside getting my card and then I just couldn't get it back. And it was just like horrible cycle of got a two-way miss. I remember actually one tournament, it was like a pretty big green and the pin was literally right in the middle of the green and it had a nine iron in. And I was just like, honestly, I don't even know if it's going to go left or right. I just know it's not going to go straight. <laughs> and it's a yeah. horrible feeling to have. Scary. Like, you just don't know. Yeah, because yeah, I know, you know that feeling times, very well, like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible because you're like, well, if I go right at it, it's going to go left or right, which is. And, and then I'm like, so I can't really aim right and hopefully it goes left. It's just it could go. I could aim right and it goes more right. And so, yeah, I just knew that was not good at all at that point in time with a nine iron and then you know wasn't hitting it well and you know no matter how good my short game was at that time 
I had no confidence in my putting. I'm not comfortable over three, four footers. I, you know, and I just remember one of my friends when we were playing an event and we hadn't played together in a while, she was just like, she couldn't believe how long I was taking over putts. Like, and it didn't even feel like it. And she's like, you just stood over putts forever. And I'm like, really? It didn't feel like that long, but yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in the bad things, bad thoughts, and you don't even realize it. And you're just spiraling down and down and down. So honestly, when the 2019 season came to an end, it was like, oh, finally, like it's over. Like there's nothing I can do about it anymore. So before Q school, I was able to start changing my mental game. And it was tough. Two weeks, eight rounds of Q series, a lot of stress. But um, I started working with a new performance coach, Don Woodard, and she helped me a lot through it. So, you know, I still didn't play great, but I mean, it was loads better. What was the thing that Don had you work on first? What was the biggest focus? So when we first started working together, it was a lot about identifying red flags, you know, sets me off. And then as we started working more and more, it was two things that really helped me. The first one was approaching golf more logically problem solving each shot is like a problem to solve I had to be very objective instead of being emotionally invested in things so it's like okay we're on the first tee it's just problem solving because then it makes you stay really present and then once you figure out what you're going to do then you just go and then you just forget about it and then the second thing was saying out loud my feelings so like before if I was nervous, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just kind of be like, oh, I shouldn't be nervous. I'm just going to stuff it down. But she said like, no, like it's okay to be nervous. Everyone's nervous. You're at Q series. Everyone's nervous because they want to keep their jobs or get, you know, get their LPGA card. And so I tried it. It was like on the walking off number one green of Q series. I was super nervous. I hit two terrible shots, but managed to par. And I just said, Travis, I'm like, you know what? I'm really nervous. And it felt like, you know, a huge boulder was lifted off my shoulders and he was like okay well let's figure out how to manage it so yeah I think that was a huge thing just like saying out loud my feelings hey I'm anxious hey I'm nervous or I'm really pissed off really helps I mean I I love both of those but going to your first comment there about treating it as a problem solving or a puzzle or point a to Mm -hmm. point b right because that gets you lost in the strategic course management side of the game right and you're focused and you're just not as worried about the other things. I think that's really good for our listeners. When you get on a first team, just, Hey, I got to build out this plan as opposed to, you know, thinking so much about results. Cause it's easy to do. It's a good way to keep you focused. Yeah, exactly. Well, the key there, Matt too, is like, it's the funny thing is when our average listener will hear problem solving. I bet you a lot of us immediately try and problem solve with our swing because you might've just seen a miss that you weren't used to, or you just saw something and you feel very uncomfortable and they might go to problem solving with technique. But what you're saying, Mina, is you problem solve with the shot and your surroundings, which look, our mind is an evolved. Our brain is not evolved. Our brain is old. Our minds can be evolved. So the simple trick is just focusing on something else that's more productive, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, everyone does it, professional golfers too. The average golfer, they get get on a hole and there's water left. You go, oh, I don't want to go left. But like your brain, all they hear is, oh, left. (laughs) So you just, um, things like that. It's just, you you know, the problem solving thing helps you focus on 
okay, right center of the fairway. And that's it. Yeah. Right. And you talked it, about just real quick, you talked about what yeah. you had to identify what triggers you with your coach. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then dealing with, dealing with what that triggers you in a healthy way. As, yes. So, right. Maybe hitting it left as a right-handed player might trigger you because like me, like for example, but Hey, it's not so much my swing. It's just, I got to get my mind right. Is that? Yes, exactly. So Mina, it's funny, your story about what you start working on with Don you brought up kind of two concepts there. One was kind of acceptance. The other was kind of managing what you have. And it's so funny because literally we posted this yesterday, a quote from Ricky Fowler after shooting a 63. He said, the last two days, I wasn't exactly swinging it great. I kind of did a good job of managing my way around. I'll get some work in before the round, try and exaggerate a few things when I'm a little bit tighter on lines and flights that I want. But I just did a good job of accepting what I had and kind of moving forward with that. Mm -hmm. It sounds actually very similar. Yeah. Some weeks it's easier to do that than other weeks. Totally get that. <laughs> what are some of the red flags? Like what were some of the things that came up that you're like, oh, that's one of my patterns. Dawn re reminds me I need to work towards this. So one of my red flags is actually when I start taking a long time, that's when I start to get really bogged down on um, technique. So it happens more on short game for me more so than not. So it's like, if I'm not comfortable with chipping or a certain shot, chipping, pitching, you know, bunker shot, anything, I get really bogged down on, especially technique. I'm like, okay, I need to fly this two paces on when I, you know, how do I do that? Oh, okay. I need to break my wrist more. And I need to do this, 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 and this to be able to hit this shot. That's like, that is a red flag instead of, you know, looking at the line and be like, oh, okay. It just, it needs to be a high shot. That's it. <laughs> I, you're like, I know how so, to do this. Just yeah, that's do it, definitely. Right? <laughs> how many times have I done this? <laughs> now, do you, Travis, your caddy and your fiance for the listeners, do you have him help you with this? Like you say, hey, you know, if I'm getting a little slow out there, talk to me because the player caddy relationship is so key. I'm just curious. Sometimes, because it's definitely hard to, for an outside perspective, even for Travis to like, identify it right away especially like if it's the first shot where I start to do it then like if it's like the third or fourth time he's like he just like pulls me <laughs> off and be like hey you know how to do this don't tell me just do it <laughs> right and then I'm like oh okay or like he just says something like you don't have to be perfect and I'm like oh okay and then I like kind of snap out of it but um he actually is able to identify this is another one of my red flags when I'm um starting to get worked up or upset I walk really fast to my next mm -hmm. shot because I'm so mm -hmm. concerned about either A, where it is, or B, what the next shot is. So he'll just, if I start walking too fast, he either says, hey, 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 slow down, or he actually like grabs me and then just <laughs> says, hey. so, so if we see that on TV, we know why. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, and then I like either I like stop for like a second or then I just walk really slow. It's interesting how they're the opposite, right? One is speeding up in a certain mm -hmm. scenario, the other slowing down around the shot. That's Yeah. Cause like I speed up cause I'm so concerned about yeah. it. And then I slow down because I'm just like, I have to be perfect with this shot. Mina, let me ask you this. Cause this is something that is probably just, you know, it's a fact. It's one of the hardest parts about the game. I think amateurs struggle with this mightily. And I don't think we've ever asked a pro this. So I'm going to ask you a lot of times it's funny how feeling confident over the shot can lead to a great result versus a great result 
making me feel confident. However, at least in my game, I've realized that if I rip at the ball as if I'm confident, I get a better result usually. But when I'm feeling really, really uncomfortable and I don't know where the ball is going and I'm seeing weird misses and it's a two-way miss, it's actually really easy to get gun shy and Mm -hmm. not swing confident, which then exacerbates the issue because it's not my true authentic move. Mm-hmm. How do you battle with that? How do you still swing confidently when you're really uncomfortable? I do a couple of things. The most important about those kind of days is accepting that it's just that kind of day. You want to battle. You want to be like, this is not how I normally do. But you know what? Like, it's really hard for me to accept <laughs> too. <laughs> but on my good, better mental days, if I happen to not be hitting it well, it's just I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, that's just how it is. Let's just go see. Let's go manage it. So a couple of things when you're gun shy or just having a weird day, it's really important to have like a go-to shot for those kind of things. So for me, I'm really good at hitting with flighting the ball. So if I keep my misses, like I come out of it and then it's like a weak right shot. So then I start to actually put the ball little bit more back in my stance and then I just I try to hit trap draws the rest of the day because at least it's solid like if even if it's you know my flight and yardages are different at least it's solid so I just that's my go-to shot and b being gun shy doesn't mean oh if I get the shot over with faster it's gonna be better (laughs) that's just not how it happens so you just swing harder at it because like no that's not gonna work because your timing's already off anyway. Hmm. So I think on those days, keeping to your routine is very important as well. Because it's so easy to get out of it, right? You're, yeah, because you think qu- something's you're, wrong. You're yeah. questioning your ability. You're questioning, what did I do wrong this morning? You know, But it, it's just like you said, it's just golf, right? Yeah, it's just golf. So yeah, yeah and you know, like we, we all do it because it's like, oh, I'm hitting a bad, well, I just want to get it over with or, oh, I just need to swing harder and faster. And, you know, sometimes maybe I'll catch it. But no, it's like it's just really important, especially on the bad days, to stick to what you've been doing, your routine. But it's also OK to have a feel with your swing where what you're trying to do. So like I'm a draw bias player, so I just try to exaggerate a draw because at least it's closer to what I do naturally anyway. And what I like to have what I mean is talk about just getting back to find solid contact. Because at least if you can get that, you know, you're making a move at it. You might surprise yourself with shooting a good number, but yeah. <laughs> you get at least re- re- you had to, but you had to recognize that early in the round. Like, Hey, I don't feel right today might not be my day, but it still could be if I can find solid contact. Yeah, exactly. Hot putter and you're making longer putts and it's a well, good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mina, you actually spoke about that and some of your pressers during the U S open where you said, quote, I'm just trying to find solid contact out there. And I was curious, like, I guess that kind of answers my original question of how do you just try and get solid contact for you? You were leaning into a strength, your natural ability of being a draw, natural drawer and exaggerating that feel back in the stance, flighting it, just emotion and a pattern that you know how to do basically. Exactly. Mina, you, you had a great quote on the final round after the final round at the press conference of the U.S. Open when you finished second. We have to read it. Everyone was asking you about your second place and you won a lot of money. And you said, 
Well, I'm not going to lie. My stomach hurt those last couple holes. <laughs> I was really stressed out, but I was just focused on one shot at a time, hitting solid shots and hitting good putts. Talk about that experience. You finished second place. You went over a million dollars, life-changing moment. Just talk about that week and that final round and, and what an accomplishment. And you're this close to getting your first major. It was an amazing week. You know, I hadn't been playing that great up to that point either. And so I actually got to the tournament late because we missed a flight out of Vegas mm. to get to the tournament. And in that situation, it's easy to panic. But, you know, Travis said, hey, there's no need to panic. You'll still get there. And yeah, it's the U.S. Open, but you're still playing golf on a golf course. And so he was like, there's no need to put extra emphasis on it despite, you know, the tournament and the atmosphere. So, so when we got there, I actually didn't play a practice on a Tuesday. I just went to the range and I wanted to figure out, see how my swing was feeling, see how I was hitting it. Because one of my philosophies actually for golf courses is as long as I can hit where I'm trying to hit it, that's all it is. <laughs> it's all yeah. like what tournament right. golf is. Like what, literally. So yeah. I'm like, well, if I can't hit it where I need to hit it, what's the point of seeing golf course? <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, I worked on my uh, swing or I worked on my shots on Tuesday all afternoon and I played the back nine on Wednesday and then I went and played. So right off the bat, even, even when things didn't work out beginning of the week, it felt like I was in a good mental place anyway. And, you know, I can't really pinpoint why I had a really good mental week, but it's just, I was really able to like roll with the punches. I was able to think really clearly and slowly on the golf course. And I was just really comfortable that week. Well, and Mina, for the listeners, you shot 64 in the first round. Right? Yep. So, <laughs> so we, we miss our flight. We don't, we don't really play much of a practice round, if any, mm -hmm. right. And working on your swing and your mental game was, oh, that's incredible. I mean, you know, what a, what, what a way to start the, to start the tournament. And that just was such a boost of confidence. I can imagine. Yeah. It was funny though, because I honestly, I don't play many practice rounds anyway during tournaments. So, yeah. but like my friends know that the general population doesn't know that. And so when <laughs> after the first round, one of the reporters was like, I heard you didn't see the front nine and you shot five under. And I was like, oh yeah. And they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, honestly, if, if it's a course, well, any course and I haven't seen front nine or back nine, it's just all it really is, is I'm keeping the ball in front of me. And it's easier to do on some courses than not, especially at a major. It's not supposed to be a birdie fest. So I'm not trying to make a birdie on every hole. So it's just like, okay, here, fairway. Here, right of the pin or left of the pin. And, and, you know, like I said, if I'm able to hit it where I'm trying to hit it, then I'm much more comfortable when I'm playing. Well, it's interesting how not, and I guess you played there as an amateur, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. It'd been a while. Right. I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember you saying you only remember the first tee shot and the last last hole, oh. really. But it's interesting if we unpack that, not remembering the hole, there's actually proven in some mental golf types that play better on new courses because it allows you to be in that problem solving mode more. Things are just revealing it to you as it's happening versus if you spend two days really getting your numbers down and what club to hit here and you can't miss here. I think it can be easier to overthink 
than if you're just playing I it free. I'm that type. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's I'm an interesting that thing type. for people to know too. Like, okay, so I have a tendency to overthink and overprepare. We hear that from a lot of pros in this show actually is working smarter, not harder. Yep. This is my 13th year on tour. So I'm a little older than some, a lot of the girls out there. So like for me, I like to work on like conserving energy, keeping healthy because my philosophy is like, as long as I can hit it where I need to hit it and, read some putts, then it's, I should be fine. <laughs> well, I think that's great perspective. You know, just, we've talked to a lot of, you know, different pros at different levels, mini tours, PGA tour, back and forth. My brother played on the Canadian tours. A lot of times I've heard from players that starting out on, especially the mini tours, it's, they're always thinking to themselves, I'm not doing enough. You know, I'm not working out enough. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not working enough on my short game and it, it really consumes you. And what you described this maturity level, right. Of, Hey, it's not about not doing enough. It's just about doing the right things at the right time and, and conserving energy because you're not, when you think you're not doing enough, you're using a lot of mental and physical energy. And so it's just something I wanted to share, but we've heard this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's super easy when you're new on tour, you're, you're just like, okay, what can I do to be at the top level? Oh, I see this person doing that. I see that person doing this, but like, you don't know what other people are doing. And you know, mm-hmm. that's what, I feel like now, well, now that's what off weeks are for. Like that's when you grind, you're working on things because when you're at a tournament on Tuesday and you're still grinding on working on something, it's probably not going to happen during the tournament. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, the train's going to make a quick stop. Please stay in your seat. Keep those seatbelts fashioned, and then we'll get you right back on track, I promise. So I just polled a lot of you guys on Instagram this week, and I asked, hey, what's a bigger issue for you with golf? Is it muscle soreness and pain? Or is it chafage below the equator? And 80% of you said muscle soreness. Well, I got good news for you. Our friends at Oars and Alps just dropped their muscle recovery bomb. And it's this beautiful little compact roll-on that's kind of like old school Icy Hot, but it's cleaner, okay? It's none of those harsh chemicals. All you got to do is roll it on your neck, shoulders, back, quads, biceps, anywhere you feel sore or tight, and you'll get an instant relief of cooling sensation followed by warmth it's clear it's non-greasy it's non-sticky and it's scented with a calming combination of lavender and sage are you kidding me i feel like i'm in a spa right now so go to oarsandalps.com enter the code train get yourself 15 percent off and a little pro tip okay most of these codes are first time usage so if you're going to go into oars and alps and get yourself some muscle recovery bomb you might as well get yourself a aluminum free deodorant my favorite is the bergamot grove I also love the Mandarin Woods if you have sensitive skin, but they've got every kind of flavor there, any type of scent you like, best deodorant in the market, none of the harsh chemicals, no aluminum, but they also got a million other things. They've got skincare, body care, hair care. I love the thickening spray. I wore it during my wedding, actually. So amazing stuff on oarsandalps.com. Enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 15% off. All right, let's get this train back on the tracks. Mina, Matt and I were kind of debating this off air before you signed on, actually, which was this notion of our listener. Let's just call them a 10 handicap. Okay, our listener might see your background, which we would have gone through in the intro, and they would think Mina has been playing her whole life. If she plays poorly, she's shooting a couple over par, you know, and she's got it all figured out. Right. These pros have it all figured out. When I took a step back and I was reflecting on your interviews during the U.S. Open, it was a lot about self-belief and it was a lot about 
you're proud of your regulation of your emotions and different things. And I think a lot of times amateurs think that they're the only ones that experience that, that yeah, pros get down on themselves because they didn't meet their expectations. Help us understand. I don't think it's as big of a gap as maybe we think out there mentally. Definitely not, especially, you know, the last few years, mental health has been talked about more. And so more and more players, men and women have talked about, they're like, yeah, I get playing professional golf creates anxiety, stress, it creates people and ourselves have expectations, you know, they're like, oh, well, she was this good. How come she's not doing this? Or I should be doing that. And it's hard. Like it's different, but it's the same. (laughs) It's different, but same. So I mean, Max Homa said it the best. It's like, you know, we can think that when we're playing well, we think we could win the Masters or we'll never shoot over 70 again. Or when you're playing bad, you're like, man, can I break par again? Or like, man, I'm the worst golfer on tour. And it happens all the time. It's just golf is a game of confidence. It's hard to create your own confidence. But I mean, I've been through it all this year. Like um, after US Open, I was like, man, I don't know if I could play bad golf again. But then (laughs) You know, immediately I was kind of fatigued, but I kept trying to play through it. And I was like, am I the same person? <laughs> Those couple of weeks ago, it doesn't feel like it at all. Golf is funny that way for sure. Yeah. You think that that was from obviously fatigue, but do you think there was a level of raised expectations because of the performance you just had? Yeah, I think raised expectations because it's like, well, if I can do it on the biggest stage, why can't I do it here? Right. Kind of thing. So it was just like a variety of things why I didn't play well the next couple of months. Um, I was also sick for five weeks during mm. that stretch. So that was that'll, not fun. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then I took after that, took a three week break and I came back and I'm starting to play like how I did then. So yeah, golf is funny. It's like a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Right. Mina, tell us kind of, you know, obviously the great finishes of the US Open. You talked about your year. Where, where do you feel your game's at right now? I, I was looking at your stats, just a couple, and I know you always want to improve them, but two stuck out to me that are really strong. Your 18th in driving accuracy and your 16th in sand saves. And I think, you know, you're you're kind of always in it. You're never out of it. You know, you're hitting it pretty straight. And if you do happen to hit a bad iron, most of the time you're getting up and down. So mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And it's great for our listeners. It's good perspective. But what are you working on with your game right now? Or how, what's next? Last couple months, I really just started to work back to what I was doing right before, like in 2020. Like I was like, I want to go back to what I was doing a couple of years ago and what got me here. And that was solid iron play and making more putts. So that's what I've been working on. I've been, we went back to what we were working on a couple years ago. We were cleaning things up in my swing, but it wasn't really sticking with me, I guess. So we had to reword what we were working on or like focus on the things that I can actually do that I had success with. So went back to that with my coach and then just trying to get a little bit more confidence in my putting in again. I'm not putting bad. It's just, I'm not making the putts that I had been the last few years in certain moments, like putts that keep the momentum going or putts that, not matter more because they shouldn't matter more, but like, you know, like a putt that will get me from T20 to T10, stuff like that. Well, you said, Mina, that your fiance, Travis, helped you a lot, especially through COVID, post-COVID, in being an athlete. I think you said Travis brought an athlete's mentality that I think you had more when you were an amateur and you had a ton of amateur success too. 
So talk about that. How did that translate? What does an athlete's mentality actually mean for your golf? To me, an athlete's mentality is a lot of confidence. When I was a junior and amateur golfer, I had a lot of confidence in myself and my game is, you know, I, I didn't care how I was hitting it when I was going into a tournament or during a warm up. I was just like, no, I'm just, I'm going to beat everyone anyway. So it's just like that kind of mentality or working really hard, being excited for competition is what I think is an athlete's mentality. Things weren't very good the last few years. It's easy to lose that confidence, lose that edge, I want to say. But Travis has always had that. He's just that kind of person and personality. It's just he's more of the, when it's 40 degrees outside, like I'm still going to go practice because I'm getting better Mm -hmm. than anybody else. So he's the one that motivates me. And Mm. he always sends me like on Instagram, like motivational quotes to get me going and things. But yeah, it's more like that killer mentality and confidence where it's like, yeah, I'm out here to beat everyone. Yeah. I always hear our listener in my ear when we're doing interviews and I could hear them thinking, and this is a really interesting trap. I think we all fall into where you might hear that and they might be thinking that sounds great, but how do I go from feeling like, I don't know where the ball's going to like, I'm going to beat everybody. And I think the key is I'd love to hear if you relate to this, if you, if this resonates with you, sometimes it's too big of a jump to go from feeling really unconfident to I'm going to beat everybody. So maybe the jump is, let me just try and be a little bit more competitive with this hole, with this shot, with this stretch of three holes and make it less about me and my ego, but just like be competitive, try and compete, even if it's ugly try and make pars. Does that resonate with you? Because you've gone through the full gambit, just like amateurs have. So how do you resonate with that? You brought up a really good point. Because sometimes like that's, that's not how sometimes I forget what I went through. So yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. It is hard to go from like, uh, I don't know where the ball is going to like, yeah, I'm gonna beat everyone, (laughs) obviously. Yeah. (laughs) I like to think of it. Part of it is like, you kind of got to fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. kind of attitude you know like sure. just you know little things like you know stand up taller or the way you speak or your little mind shift to more positive mind shift and being like oh I don't want to hit this left to like I'm going to hit this right side of the fairway or just you know little shifts like that and then yeah I, I agree I like your you know being competitive either with yourself or somebody else you know be like okay say if you start off with a bad drive, like it goes in the woods or something, like challenge yourself to be like, I'm going to make par from here or like watch me make par from here. But also you can't be down on yourself when you don't just say stuff like, Hey, that was really close. Or, you know, it makes yeah. you more competitive that way to challenge yourself like that. And Mina, that athlete mentality to have that, a lot of it comes from your practice, right? So mm-hmm. what, what you're doing during the week or those off weeks, how do you structure goals in your practice? Because there was times when I, I grew up playing and played in college where I would practice all day, but like, what did I learn today? Or what did I achieve today? Right. And it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I did full swing, chipping, putting bunker, specialty shots, but how do you set goals or how do you find wins? And even if it's a, you know, hitting balls for 45 minutes, talk about that. Yeah. I think it's important to set goals beforehand or like, know know what your purpose is going into the day and it's easy to do that after a tournament 
it's like, oh, what did I, what do I need to work on? Did I hit fairways? Did I hit greens? Was my short game on point and, or do I need to make more putts? So things like that, it's easy to identify. But for the average golfer who doesn't play in many tournaments, I would say most people need to work on their scoring shots. Anything inside like 100, 120 yards, it's just like, hey, can I hit more greens from there? Can I, how many times can I hit it within 10 feet on the range? You know, if you, if you find a flag on the range, that's like 115 yards, like challenge yourself to be like, how many times can I get it within like a 20 foot circle? things like that. And like, it's just making little goals like that. Or when you're like, Oh, I want to make a few more putts, play a game with yourself. You're like, how many six footers can I make today? And like, make a goal for yourself. You could say, I want to make 10 in a row, or you can even five, like you could set little goals here and there. So say today, I'm going to make five, six footers in a row. And then you make it. Okay, cool. You go back the next time. I'm going to make seven in a row. And you can see your progress from there. Yeah. Well, you did a great PXG promo video about short irons, right? And you said from 120 in, and I really liked what you said too. And it's, it's great for everybody because a lot of times when we miss greens from 120 in, which we think are the easiest shots, it's because we're not sure what club to hit. We're in between clubs. You talked about finding a shot when you're in between clubs, when there's a little wind, I think you talked about a three quarter move, you know, but still going after it. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. think three quarter, but you're still being aggressive. So mm-hmm. the, the key to your short irons and it's okay to be 15 feet, right? Yep. Especially if you don't like the shot you see, but we get into these traps where we get too aggressive just because we have a 56 in our hand. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's super easy to think that way. It's like, oh, I'm so close to the green. I should be five feet. And I'm like, no, it's like you, you are not going to have the perfect yardage every time. So if you're, if you are uncomfortable, you have to be, well, I'm like really in between clubs. 15 feet, maybe I could make a putt. So speaking of practicing how amateurs should practice having goals, we asked this to Emma when Emma was on the show. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Do you think that the average golfer would benefit more from watching and replicating LPGA players more than PGA tour pros? Because I feel like the LPGA, you guys are such masters of tempo course management playing the high percentage shot where I think it's easy to watch a guy like Dustin Johnson where they just bomb and gouge it. And we're just trying to hit it as hard as we can talk about that. Do you think the average player could benefit more from replicating an LPGA tour pros game? Definitely. I know most people probably won't like to hear it, but yeah, definitely. Because (laughs) when I play in pro-ams, especially they're just like, wow, you do hit it like pretty far or <laughs> or like, you know, we give them a yard. It's like, it's 150. And, you know, the average, not so great golfer, the ones that play like every other weekend or once a month, they're just like, oh, I can hit my pitching wedge 150. And it's like, yeah, you can, but do you do it that often? That's your best shot. They don't think of it that way. So then it's a 150 and they hit a pitching wedge and they're like, oh, I don't think that was right. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. I hit my 150 perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but I know people want to hear that, but whatever. Um, It's true. It's true. true. Yeah, it's true. I think it, I think the average golfer would, would benefit a little bit more um, because we probably play longer yardages that we should, because we hit a lot of long irons and hybrids and the par threes and par fours. So we do have to be accurate and to be more accurate, you have to have really good tempo and control. 
so I think the average golfer would benefit a lot watching us and they, and they're surprised when they watch us. Right. Well, well, mean it maybe in some of your ups and your downs, were you battling accuracy importance of accuracy versus importance of distance off the tee or is that, or is that something that's really never bothered you? How do you work on both, but at the same time, know your game? I think the distance thing never bothered me because I'm five foot four. (laughs) How how far am I going to really hit it? So I think it's just being comfortable with who you are is important too. Like, it's not like I'm ever going to be able to dunk a basketball. Why am I trying? It's great yeah. perspective, but I think yeah. even many short people in stature still struggle <laughs> with that, right? Cause it's like, oh, I can get five to seven more yards. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that can totally change your swing pattern and your dispersion rate, you know? So it's staying, staying within yourself, like you said. Exactly. Staying within yourself is important. And I think like looking at stats is really important too. So say, you know, having five to seven more yards sounds great, but then if you really think about it, it's like, okay, I'm hitting five to seven yards farther, but I'm not as accurate is having one less club really that important. Like for me, it's not that important having a six iron instead of a five iron because it's still a long iron. But if I can go from a five iron to eight iron, that's the big difference. But is a five foot person ever going to do that? No. (laughs) Hitting it straight is a good thing, right? We can't Mm -hmm. hit more fairways. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> I think the LPGA players are also probably better at utilizing their full body. Whereas big guys are going to probably have bigger shoulders, bigger mm-hmm. biceps. And True. it's easy for those big muscles to want to fire, mm-hmm. right? Where I think you guys do a really good job of utilizing your full body. And it's funny that you tell us that people are surprised because we literally just posted yesterday because my wife is a good player she can shoot in the eighties. She played her whole life and guys are always shocked when they see her hit a ball. And I just wanted to put it out there. Like, Hey, maybe we should stop being so shocked when a woman hits a good golf shot. Women, there's plenty no, of really good women, powerful, a power, like our big, or a big drive. Like, yeah, it's just, it, but it's and, weird. It's, it's, it's weird how that happens even for LPGA yeah. players. Right. Yeah. I forgot where we were, but it was, it was pretty recent. It was definitely this year where you stand pretty close to us hitting drives and we hit it and like just so many people at this place were like wow <laughs> and it's like we're not at a member you're like, guest <laughs> you're at like, your local club like we're like, professional yeah, golfers this, yeah. this is what we do <laughs> yeah this is what we do like god i hope we can hit it like 240 <laughs> yeah all right we're gonna take a quick break and then i'll get you right back to the show guys in case you didn't know I don't talk about it that often. I do mental coaching in addition to the podcast. And I've had golfers from scratch all the way to 12s and above. And if you want to take your mental game from listening to this show to the next level, get one-on-one help. We'll put you on a plan, especially if you use mental golf type. I'm a certified coach with mental golf type. We can take your game to the next level. Go to thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching. Or just email us at thepartrain at gmail.com. Give us a shout. We can have an introductory chat and figure out what you need to work on to get your game to the next level. Get off that struggle bus and get back on track. So thepartrain.com slash golf mental coaching. Give us a shout. Let's get your game to the next level. All right, let's get back to the show. 
don't know if this is gonna make sense, but I had to ask this. You might get a kick out of this, but Sir Max is gonna laugh at me. But I'm gonna ask you anyways. I've noticed that you've got a beautiful, wide, compact move, and I think width is something that you hear a lot about. I don't think the average player really understands what it is. I'm starting to learn more about what it is, and I've worked with my coach on it, and I've realized for me, and maybe it's just because it's new for me, but for me, width feels like I'm pushing out, like punching a wall, basically. And I've been curious, how do you stay wide, but not also feel tense and disconnected and restricted? You know, because I find that when I get loose, I lose my width. So I'm just curious if you have any insights on that for the average player. Given a lesson here, Mina. (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about the backswing or just like the swing in general? Takeaway. The backs, the takeaway and the backswing. So (laughs) I actually have weird elbows. Okay. So they hyperextend a lot. So I can't help but do it. That's that's one of my quirks of my swings. Um, That's why I look so wide. I can't help it. I'm sorry. That's nice. I like that. Maybe I should go hyperextend my elbows. Evan's going to try and change his elbows. But actually, my swing really relies on creating enough space. Mm -hmm. So for me to create space, I do have to feel a little wide, which is maybe you can feel like I don't, I haven't seen your swing, but when you see mine, I don't have a ton of wrist hinge in the beginning of my swing, which helps me get it away from my body a little bit more. Good extension. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I know we're almost reaching time. We've got a couple more questions for you, then we'll get you out of here. I guess I just want to finish on asking, not to end on a, a low note, but I think it'll help a lot of people. You've been through a lot of ups and downs. Can you talk about, you kind of alluded to it, but your lowest moment and what do you think the key was to getting on the other side? Because a lot of people listening might be going through a low moment and they're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. What do you think was your biggest key to getting out on the other side? Honestly, I think the biggest key is having a great support system. The biggest difference was Travis was by my side to really pull me out of it. Say you don't have a team around you. Say, you know, it's just you're the average golfer that likes to play with his buddies. It's just tiny little mind shifts, taking mm-hmm. it day, like one day at a time. It, you don't have to become a whole new person in one day. It's just very little changes every time. There's a really good book, Atomic Habits. It talks about if you change like 1% every day or, you know, 1% little by little in the long run, you're going to be very different. It's something that you can't really see right away, but it's like when you come out the other side, you're like, wow, like Travis and I always joke, or I always joke when we go to a course that either I've never, I didn't have success with or certain shots or just, you know, a tournament in general. I'm just like, wow. I'm like a whole new golfer. I don't suck at golf anymore. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you don't see that. You don't really see that when you're going through it. But yeah. when you become that person, you're just like, wow, I'm a whole new person. I mean, it's got to be so cool to have Travis by your side. You know, mm-hmm. I've had, uh, you know, he's family, right? I, I've had great, great moments caddying for my brothers or vice versa. And there's just something about, you know, your best friend, your brother, your sister, mm-hmm. like just being there, right? That's it's, I think that's a neat way to kind of, re- you know, end on this episode. Just he's yeah. a guy, you know, and he, he can tell you how it is. Right. <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah, I definitely think it's one of the most important things besides self-belief and self-belief. I mean, I didn't have any self-belief after um, 2019. So I think it's really important to have people or a person who lifts you up. So, 
you know, whether it be a family member, a best friend, your local golf coach or golf professional, just having someone to lean on is really important because everyone needs help. Everyone wants to feel good. Everyone wants to get back to what they think is good for them. So yeah, I think if you're able to find someone to lean on, which can be hard for some people, but you could branch out. You know, it doesn't have to be a family member or significant other. Talk to people at the golf course, you know, the the staff inside, everyone goes through it. So anyone who works at the golf course gets it in the golf industry or just listening to you guys. It, it probably, it might make, you know, I'm sure you have listeners who have, who really look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. And then they make, they feel really great about themselves after. So I think it's just finding those things. That's the goal. Well, if you guys aren't following Mina, follow Mina on Instagram and Twitter okay. at Mina Haragai. M-I-N-A-H-A-R-I-G-A-E. Before we let you go, is there anything that you want to reiterate that you've already said that you think is really important for a takeaway or something you haven't had a chance to say that you want to make sure you say before we go? Yeah, I think one of the most important thing is, um, is acceptance and that golf is a funny game. Golf, there's highs and lows. It brings out the best and worst in you. So you just kind of, you have to be really able to roll with the punches and everyone struggles with that. The professional golfers do too. So um, you're not alone out there. Love it. She's right. (laughs) right. Well, Mina, thank you for hopping aboard. We're going to be cheering you on the rest of the year. And obviously going to Pebble next year for the U.S. Open, one of your favorite places. So we're going to be cheering you on. Thanks so much for hopping aboard. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks.